Chapter fourteen of the Fundamental Doctrines of the Christian Faith by R. A. Torrey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter fourteen. Is there a literal hell? In danger of the hell of fire. Matthew chapter five verse twenty two. My subject is: Is there a literal hell? I wish that the things that I am going to preach to you were not true. God wishes so too. The Lord is long-suffering to usward, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter chapter three verse nine. But God has made us in His own image, with a moral nature, with a capacity for self-determination, with a power of choice, and men can, if they will, choose darkness instead of light. They can choose to trample God's saving love underfoot. They can choose to reject the one who was wounded for their transgressions and bruised for their iniquities and upon whom the chastisement of their peace was laid. And some will so choose. I am sorry that they will. I would be willing to die to save them. The Lord Jesus did die to save them, but they spurn him. So these things that I am to speak to-night are true, and I am going to preach them in order that you may know them, and in order that you may be sure of them. I am going to preach about hell, to keep as many of you as possible from going there. Is there a literal hell? Almost all intelligent people who believe that there is a future life at all believe that men and women who sin in the present life and who die impenitent and unsaved will be punished to some extent at least in the life that is to come. They believe that whoever sins must suffer, and that the suffering which sin causes will not be limited to this present life. But while almost all intelligent people who believe in a future life at all believe that there is some kind of future punishment, there are many that do not believe in a literal hell, that is, in a place of awful and unutterable torment. Is there a hell? Is there a place to which impenitent men and women will go sometime after death and suffer agonies far beyond those that anyone suffers here on earth? Some say, yes, there is a hell. Many, even including not a few supposedly orthodox preachers, say, no, the only hell is the inward hell in a man's heart, how are we to settle this question? How are we to determine who is right? We cannot settle it as some are trying to settle it by counting noses. Majorities are not always right. Especially is it true that majorities are not always right in science and in philosophy and in theology. What the majority of scientists firmly believed a century ago, the majority of scientists laugh at today. What the majority of philosophers once believed, the majority of philosophers today regard as ridiculous so majorities cannot always be right. And, therefore, we cannot settle this question by asking what the majority believe. We cannot settle the question by reasoning as to what such a being as God must do. For how can finite and foolish men judge what an infinitely holy and infinitely wise God would do? Man never appears more foolish than when he tries to reason out what an infinite God must do. All these arguments about hell by reasoning as to what God must or must not do are stupid. A child of seven cannot reason infallibly as to what a wise and good man of fifty will do, much less can puny creatures of the dust, such as you and I are, such as the most learned philosophers and theologians are, reason infallibly as to what an infinitely wise and infinitely holy God must do. It is, however, far easier to believe in a literal hell and an everlasting hell, from the standpoint of pure reasoning today, than it was three years and a half ago. 
nevertheless we cannot settle the question as to whether there is a literal hell by reasoning even today as to what such a being as god must do there is only one way to settle this question right and that is by going to the bible and finding out what it says and taking our stand firmly and unhesitatingly upon that we have seen the last three sunday nights that the bible is beyond an honest question god's word so whatever the bible says on this subject or on any other subject is true and is sure especially is it true that we must go to the bible and find out what it says in the matter of future punishment and future blessedness all we can know about the future is what the bible tells us all reasoning about the future outside of what the bible tells us is pure guessing it is a waste of time we know nothing about heaven but what the bible tells us and we know nothing about hell but what the bible tells us on a subject like this one ounce of god's revelation is worth a thousand tons of man's speculation the whole question is what does the bible say about hell but while we are dependent entirely upon the bible the bible clearly reveals all that we need to know the bible tells us a great deal about heaven and it tells us still more about hell and it is an interesting fact that the lord jesus himself whose authority many are ready to accept who do not accept the authority of the rest of the bible is the one who tells us most about hell and the most clearly about hell indeed all that i am going to show you is what the lord jesus himself says on this subject first of all in order to clear the way for the study of what jesus says on this subject let me call your attention to the fact that hell and hades are not the same there are numerous places in the authorized version where we find the word hell but where that word does not occur in the revised version and where the word hades is substituted for the word hell the revised version is right at that point as every greek scholar knows hades is not hell hades is the greek equivalent of the old testament hebrew word sheol this hebrew word sheol is frequently translated in the authorized version of the old testament by the english word grave it ought never to be so translated as it never means grave i have taken the pains to look up every passage where this hebrew word is used and not in a single instance does it mean grave there is an entirely different hebrew word which can properly be translated in that way sheol or new testament hades means the place of departed spirits sheol or hades before the coming life death resurrection and ascension of our lord was the place where all the spirits of the dead good and bad went before the ascension of christ in hades was paradise the place of the blessed dead and tartaros the place of the wicked dead at his ascension christ emptied the paradise of hades and took it up to heaven with him as we read in ephesians four chapter eight when he ascended on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men before christ ascended paradise was down now it is up christ said to the repentant thief on the cross verily i say unto thee to-day thou shalt be with me in paradise and jesus himself taught us he went down into the heart of the earth luke chapter twelve verse forty and the dying thief went down with him into this subterranean paradise i think jesus himself went also into that part of hades where the lost spirits were first peter chapter three verses eighteen to twenty but that is another story that we will consider later all that is important now is that the repentant dying thief went down into paradise 
but after the ascension of the lord when paul went to paradise he was caught up even to the third heaven into paradise second corinthians chapter twelve verses two to four no blessed dead are now left in hades and ultimately death and hades that is all that are dead who have not yet been raised or caught up into the celestial paradise all who are still in hades shall be cast into the lake of fire revelation chapter twenty verse fourteen this lake of fire into which death and hades are to be cast is the true and ultimate hell having cleared the way by removing the misapprehension so common in the minds of people today that hades and hell are the same now let us say next that there is to be a hell the bible says so jesus says in matthew chapter five verse twenty two but i say unto you that every one who is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment and whosoever shall say to his brother raca shall be in danger of the council and who shall ever shall say the fool shall be in danger of the hell of fire in the twenty-ninth verse of the same chapter the lord jesus says and if thy right eye causeth thee to stumble pluck it out and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell and in the thirtieth verse he says and if thy right hand causeth thee to stumble cut it off and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell we read again what our lord jesus said in mark chapter nine verses forty five to forty eight and if thy foot causeth thee to stumble cut it off it is good for thee to enter into life halt rather than having thy two feet to be cast into hell and if thine eye causeth thee to stumble cast it out it is good for thee to enter into the kingdom of god with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched some one may say that these words of our lord are figurative there is not the slightest suggestion that they are figurative the whole context is against their being taken figuratively it is indeed wrong to interpret figurative language as if it were literal but it is just as unwarranted and just as wrong to interpret literal language as if it were figurative of course the word gehenna which is translated hell is derived from the valley of hinnom where in ancient times human sacrifices were offered but the use of the word is literal throughout the new testament though its derivation is figurative many words that are figurative in their derivation are literal in their use and the meaning of the words is never determined by derivation but by usage for example our word eclipse is a figure of speech according to the figure it is a leaving or failing or fainting of the moon or sun whichever it may be that is eclipsed but though it is figurative in its derivation the ordinary usage of it is literal the universal use in the new testament of gehenna or hell is literal the word here translated hell is found twelve times in the new testament eleven of these twelve times it is used by our lord jesus himself and he uniformly uses it as in the passages which i have just read of a literal hell if there is no literal hell then our lord jesus was either a fool or a fraud he certainly meant to convey the impression that there was a literal hell there can be no doubt of that if we go to his words to find out what is the natural meaning of them if there is no literal hell then either jesus thought there was one when there was not in which case he was a fool or else he knew that there was not but tried to make men think that there was in which case he was a fraud there is no other alternative but either to believe that there is a literal hell 
or else to believe that Jesus of Nazareth, our Lord and Savior, was a fool or a fraud. I know that Jesus was not a fool. I know that he was the only begotten Son of God, that in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that he and the Father are one, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. I know that he spoke the very words of God, therefore I know that there is a literal hell, for he said so. It is worthy of note, furthermore, that most of these words about hell that I have read you tonight are taken from the Sermon on the Mount, the one part of the Bible that pretty much all men claim to believe. There are many who say that they do not know about the Bible as a whole, but they do accept the Sermon on the Mount. Well, these passages are for the most part from the Sermon on the Mount. Either accept this part of the Sermon on the Mount, or else throw the whole thing overboard as the utterance of a fool or a fraud. There is no other ground possible for any man who is willing to think things through. The next question that confronts us is, is the fire of hell mentioned in some of the passages we have read, literal fire? This is not so vital a question as the question, is there a literal hell? But nevertheless, it is an important question, and I believe the question is plainly answered in the Bible, and plainly answered by Jesus Christ himself. To turn again to the passage already referred to, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, we read, But I say unto you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, and whoever shall say, Thou fool, shalt be in danger of the hell of fire. These are Christ's own words. He not only speaks of hell, but a hell of fire, and this too from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 9, the Lord Jesus says again, And if thine eye cause thee to stumble, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. It is good for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into the hell of fire. And again in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 49, the passage we read a few moments ago, we read, And if thy hand causeth thee to stumble, cut it off. It is good for thee to enter into life maimed, rather than having thy two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. And if thy foot cause thee to stumble, cut it off. It is good for thee to enter into life halt, rather than having thy two feet to be cast into hell. And if thine eye causes thee to stumble, cast it out. It is good for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Here again some may say the fire is figurative. Turn to Matthew chapter 13, verses 30, 41, and 42. We read these words. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather up first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now here is a parable, and we have figures, and there would be warrant if this were all that we had. For saying that the fire was figurative, as other things in the verse are figurative, but in the 41st and 42nd verses of the same chapter we read, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that cause stumbling, and they that do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here we have the interpretation of the parable. Now in parables, as we already said, we have figures, but in the interpretation of parables we have the literal facts which the figures represent. But we see clearly that here in the interpretation as well as in the parable we have fire. Everything else in the parable is explained, every item in the parable except the fire, but that remains fire in the interpretation of the parable as well as in the parable itself. 
we have the same thing in another parable in verses forty seven to fifty the parable of the net cast into the sea here also in the interpretation of the parable as well as in the parable itself we have fire every other figure of the parable is explained by the literal fact that it represents but in the interpretation of the parable we have fire in the light of these facts we cannot deny the literal fire of hell without doing violence to every reasonable law of interpretation furthermore still we read in revelation chapter twenty verse fifteen that at the judgment of the great white throne and if any was not found written in the book of life he was cast into the lake of fire there is nothing in the whole context that suggests a figure and in the twenty-first chapter and the eighth verse we read but for the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars their part shall be in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death remember furthermore that the wicked in the eternal world are not mere disembodied spirits this is plain both from the old testament and the new we read in daniel chapter twelve verse two and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt now this says them that sleep in the dust of the earth the soul departs into hades it is the body that crumbles into dust and it is the body that is to be raised in the new testament in john chapter five verses twenty eight and twenty nine our lord is recorded as saying marvel not at this for the hour cometh in which all that are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of judgment now it is not the souls of men that are in the tombs it is the bodies of men and this passage teaches the resurrection of the bodies both of the good and of the wicked in first corinthians chapter fifteen verse twenty two we read for as in adam all die so also in christ shall all be made alive what paul is talking about in this entire chapter is the resurrection of the body not merely the immortality of the soul and we are here distinctly told that every child of adam gets resurrection of his body in christ furthermore in matthew chapter five verse thirty jesus says if thy right hand causeth thee to stumble cut it off and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body go into hell here in the plainest possible terms the body is spoken of as going into hell and in a similar way in matthew chapter 10 verse 28 the lord jesus says be not afraid of them that kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell from these plain and definite words of our lord it is plain as day that in the future life we are to have bodies and that the bodies of the lost are to have a place in a literal physical hell of fire while the bodily torments of hell fire are not the most appalling feature of hell while the mental agony the agony of remorse the agony of shame and the agony of despair is worse immeasurably worse nevertheless physical suffering a physical suffering to which no pain on earth is anything in comparison is a feature of hell there is one other question that remains to be answered and that is is the lake of fire a place of conscious torment or is it a place of annihilation that is a place of non-existence or is it a place of non-conscious existence there are those who believe in a literal hell but they do not believe that those who are consigned to it will consciously suffer there for any great length of time they either hold that those who are sent to hell are annihilated or else that they exist in a non-conscious state 
Of course, this would be an everlasting hell, an everlasting punishment, but is it the hell that is taught in the Bible? Is the lake of fire a place of continued conscious torment, or is it a place of non-conscious existence? In answer to this question, let me call your attention to the fact that the punishment of the wicked is spoken of in the Bible most frequently as death and destruction. What do these words mean in biblical usage? Let us look first at the biblical usage of the word death. Many tell us, time and time again, that death means non-existence, or at least non-conscious existence, and therefore that is what it must mean in the passages where it is spoken of as the future punishment of the impenitent. But does death, as used in the Bible, mean either non-conscious existence or annihilation? Look first at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6. Here we read, She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Death here certainly does not mean either non-existence or non-conscious existence. The woman that lives in pleasure still exists, and she certainly exists consciously, but she is dead. Death means wrong existence rather than non-existence. It is just the opposite of life, and life in the New Testament usage does not mean mere existence, it means right existence, godlike existence, holy existence. It means the ennoblement and glorification and deification of existence, and death means just the opposite. It means wrong existence, debased existence, the ruin, the shame, and the ignominy, and the despair of existence. In a similar way, we are told in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that men, until they are quickened or made alive by the power of God, are dead in trespasses and sins. It is perfectly clear, then, that death does not mean either non-existence or non-conscious existence. But even more decisive than this is the fact that God himself has defined death very accurately and very fully in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable and murderers, and whoremongers and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Here we are told in so many words that death, which is the final outcome of persistent sin and unbelief, is a portion in the place of torment, the lake of fire. That this lake of fire is a place of conscious suffering is made clear in the preceding chapter, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, where we are told that the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night for ever and ever. The beast and false prophet had already been there a thousand years when the devil was cast into the lake of fire, and they were tormented consciously without rest. Now let us look at what destruction means in the New Testament. We are told by a certain school of religious thought that destruction means destruction. Yes, destruction means destruction, but what does destruction mean? They say it means annihilation, or ceasing to be, but the Greek word so translated never means that in the Bible, nor even out of the Bible. In the best Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament extant, Thayer's translation of Grimm's great work, we are told that when a thing is said to perish, and the verb from which the noun commonly translated destruction and perdition is derived, is the one translated to perish, it is not meant that it ceases to be, but that it is so ruined that it no longer subserves the use for which it was designed. Furthermore, here again God has been careful to define his terms. He himself has given us in the Bible a definition of destruction. We read in Revelation chapter 17 verses 8 and 11, The beast that thou sawest was not, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, 
and go into perdition, and they that dwell on earth shall wonder, and the beast that was and is not, even he that is eighth and is of the seventh, and goeth into perdition. Here we are told that the beast goes into perdition. The word here translated perdition is precisely the same word that is elsewhere translated destruction, and should be so translated here, or else in the other instances it should be translated as here perdition. Now, if we can find what the beast goes into, then we shall know exactly what destruction means, for we are told that he goes into destruction. In the 19th chapter of Revelation, the 20th verse, we are told exactly where the beast goes. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that had worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, looking forward to the next chapter, the 10th verse, which I have already quoted, we read, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where are also the beast and the false prophet, and they shall be tormented day and night for ever and ever. Putting these passages together, we see that the beast goes into destruction, and the destruction into which he goes is a place in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, where for a thousand years he is in conscious torment, and where after the thousand years are over, he is still there and still tormented. So then destruction is clearly defined in the New Testament in the same way in which death is defined, as the condition of beings in a place of conscious torment. Again, in Revelation chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, we read regarding those who worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in their foreheads or on their hands, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth for ever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. The Bible makes it clear as language can make it, that the lake of fire into which whoever is not written in the Lamb's book of life is consigned, is a place of continued conscious torment. There is no escaping the clear teaching of the word of God unless we throw our Bibles away and discredit the teaching of the apostles and the teaching of Jesus Christ himself. Next Sunday night we will take up the question, Is the punishment of the wicked everlasting? But we must stop at this point tonight. Sherman says, War is hell. Of course, in the way in which Sherman meant it, this is true. It is far more true of war today than it was in the worst and most inexcusable phases of our civil war. Libby and Andersonville, for example, on the part of the South, and the march through Georgia on the part of the North. But even more today, as carried on by Germany in all its appalling frightfulness, is not hell. Hell is incomparably more awful than the war now raging in Europe, and this awful hell of which we have been studying tonight is the destiny of some of you here in this room, unless you soon repent and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Other appalling facts about hell we will take up next Sunday night, but we have already seen enough to make any true Christian determine to work with all his might to save others from this awful hell. And we have seen enough to make every honest and sensible person here tonight determine to escape this awful hell at any cost. End of chapter 14